Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Victorious week three. Has this been a good series so far? Is it helping you, serving you? That was underwhelming, I'm going to be honest. Okay, we're moving on anyway. So today, we are going to study a winner from the Bible. Not just any winner, a wrestling winner. Now, I know Jason gave you his record last week, but I'm just saying this guy has a 100% victory record. Do you not remember Jason's record from last week? It was 51-50. This guy has 100. I'm just saying, Jason. Just saying. Just saying. A man who had an entire nation named after him. A man included on the list when we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A man who the prophet Isaiah says wrestled with God and won. So not only did he have a wrestling match in the Bible in which he won, but it was against God. (laughs) And he won. Hosea 12 says, even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. We can see from various places through the word, not just here, but Jacob is actually mentioned in other places as well. We can see that it seems that God himself showed up to Jacob one night, wrestled him all night long, and Jacob won. Anybody else already confused? (laughs) Because I was a little confused when God dropped this message in my heart this week. So I went exactly to the story in Genesis 32, 24. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. His literal name now means winner, victorious. I don't know about you, but sometimes I also feel like I'm wrestling with God a little bit, right? There are times when I feel like maybe Satan's blocking my path. You know, the enemy is coming against me. There are times where I feel like I'm sort of tripping myself up, right? It's my my own selfishness in my way. But there's a few times throughout my life where I can see, like, like, I feel like God is the one shutting these doors, right? God is the one standing in my way. God is the one wrestling me right now. Anybody wrestling with God right now? wrestling through some issues. Anybody want to get the better of that exchange? (laughs) Because I do. So we're going to study Jacob today. And so far in this series, we've discussed being victorious against enemies, being victorious with goals and dreams, like Jason talked about last week, stacking victories. But what about with God? How do we win when it's a wrestling match against God himself? This story has been bothering me all week, actually, because just looking at those couple of verses, it looks like Jacob is a winner. 
he's victorious. He, he gets his blessing from God. He comes out on top. But there were still all of these nagging questions. I just had to understand. Why would God show up on that particular night? What Was that night special for some reason? Why would God wrestle? Like show up in a physical form and wrestle someone. I, I don't see him doing that throughout most of the Bible story. Why here? Why would God knock Jacob's hip out? I mean, I usually attribute injury and and sickness to Satan, the enemy, right? Here, is God injuring a human being? What's that all about? And why would he rename him? Jacob asked for a blessing after all, not a new name. Why would God do all of these things? And since this passage, those just couple of verses, gives us zero answers to any of those questions, we have to go back to the rest of Jacob's story. By the way, it's dangerous to draw conclusions from just a little piece of the word, right? We use all of Scripture to interpret Scripture. We go back to the context. And so many of these stories of Jacob, and honestly, we could probably spend a year just on the story of Jacob. There's so much in these couple of chapters, but you probably will remember some of these if, if you grew up in the church, you've been around for a while, you heard them in kids' ministry or, or in sermons before. But if you remember, Jacob's story begins when he was born, actually before he was born, right? It begins with his brother, his twin brother, Esau. Esau was born, and Jacob came out, do you remember, holding his heel, grabbing his brother's heel. Now, I'm not a pediatric nurse, but I imagine that this is pretty rare, right? Not many people are born this way. And so even at the time, they thought it was odd, and they literally named him Grabber. Jacob means grabber. It sort of twisted over throughout his life to mean grabbing for more than you're given, deceiving, grabbing, taking, okay? That's what Jacob means. I mean, from the time that he was born, he literally had a label slapped on him. He's the grabber, the deceiver. And I imagine he would run around his house and people would be like, there goes Jacob again. He's the grabber, right? He's, he's gonna, you better keep an eye on him. He's gonna take something that's not his. Watch out for that one, right? A label put on him. I know a lot of us can relate to having labels put on us from a young age. We've, we've been called stupid or promiscuous or no good or never gonna amount to anything or ugly or incapable or, or scaredy cat. People call us these things, and they begin to stick, and more people call us these things. And soon, it's not just stuff on the outside that other people have put on us. It's on the inside now, isn't it? It's our identity. It's what we build our identity off of, and it starts to come out of us. And Jacob's label, his name, literally meant grabber. People called him that every day because the enemy might be crafty, but he's not creative. I heard said this week. He might be crafty, but he's not creative. He wants us to believe that we've not only done something wrong, but that we are something wrong. And if he can get at your identity, he's got you. That's why it's so important to remember who you 
are, that you are a child of God who gets to, like Jason said earlier, live in the moment because of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to be a slave to our past and our sin and our shame and our selfishness anymore, no matter how much of it we had in the past. We get to live in freedom. We get to live in the moment because his blood covered the rest. We get to not live by our labels anymore. Jacob's label was deceiver. And he lived up to that label. I mean, I I guess it's better than Esau's name, by the way, which, as far as I can tell, just means hairy. So... And there's, there's that, but I don't think his parents were like the plan ahead type, probably. They didn't pick meaningful names ahead of time. Their, their kids were named Harry and Grabber, essentially. But anyway, Jacob lives up to his name. Esau also lived up to his name. Just by the way, he was a very hairy man, according to the Bible. But Jacob lived up to his name in that he began to grab for more than was his to take. And as a young person, we're not told exactly what age, but we see the soup story. Do you remember? Esau comes back from hunting. He's very, very hungry. And instead of his brother just kindly feeding him soup that he had made already, he says, you know what? Give me your birthright for it. He takes advantage of the situation. He saw an opportunity to scheme, steal, and manipulate. And he was like, you know what? This is me. I'm doing it. I'm going to take it. We see him again grabbing for more, this time at the behest of his mother, the manipulation of his mother later on, where he dresses up like Esau. He puts on skins to feel hairy like Esau, and he he makes his father's favorite meal, and he sneaks into his room. His father's blind, and so he tricks him into thinking that he is Esau. Now he's not only taking his birthright from Esau himself, but he's taking the blessing that his father meant for Esau, and he's giving it to himself, taking, grabbing, deceiving, manipulating, and taking for himself. And his father does it. He blesses him as the firstborn son instead of Esau. And apparently, in a heartbreaking couple of verses in the word, Esau's left with nothing. He says, Father, don't you have any blessing left for me? He's left with nothing. And so Jacob is victorious right? Victorious, right? He got everything that he wanted, right? He got the blessing. He got the birthright. He got the riches. He got the land. Everything that his father has worked for up until now is his. Victorious. So why is there no one clapping? Why is there no one patting him on the back? Why is there no one cheering that he got what he wanted? In fact, his mother, who told him to do it, is now telling him he has to manipulate his way into fleeing town. He has to leave everything he just earned, everything he just manipulated his way into. He has to leave his mother and father, his family, his home, and all alone travel to a distant land to find a wife, but that was just the excuse to get away from his brother and what he had done. Does that sound like victory? Because mm-hmm. remember from the first weekend, and it's so crazy how this theme, I, when I honestly, when I plan series, I, I feel like God gives me a concept and we really unpack it. And just as a 
complete sidestep here away from the story. As a church, I want you to know that we do intentionally pray through these messages and, and craft them for you from God. I believe they are literal words for you from God. And honestly, they're not just for you, okay? Don't be selfish with them. I get a lot out of it too, okay? I'm just going to hold some of those words for myself, but mostly they're for you. But I believe what God is saying to us throughout this series is it's not so much what we get from the victories, but how we get them. Because it seems to be a common theme throughout this entire series. We just keep coming back to the how. How have you gotten the victory? And how are you going to get the victories that you're praying for? Are you going to trust God to get them for you? Are you going to serve him, seek his will, and let him work out the rest? Or are you going to get it the incorrect way? Because incorrect victories breed They breed fear. When you get a victory the wrong way, you're suddenly fearful. You're suddenly scared. You pull back. (gasps) Uh Uh-oh. Now I got the victory. I have to run for my life because Esau is planning my death. And then out of fear, you grab for more, and you produce more incorrect victory, which produces more fear. And then it's it's a cycle. Incorrect victory, fear, disobedience. Fear, it goes around and around and around it. And Esau here is mad. He's really mad. He's thumping mad. He's plotting to kill Jacob. Jacob has to go on the run. He manipulates his father again to send him off to find a wife. But really, he couldn't stick around any longer. And so we see him leave his hometown. He's on his way to Laban's house, his future father-in-law. And that's the story, which you might have also heard preached before, where he has a dream. Remember Jacob's ladder, right? It's where he sees heaven opened up in this dream, and people, angels maybe going up and down on this stairway, and he's convinced. Let's actually read Genesis 28, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from that dream, his sleep, and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took a stone. He he makes an altar. Skip down to verse 20. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if, if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if, you hear all the ifs here? We're on a third if. If. I return safely to my father's home. Then the Lord will certainly be my God. If he will be with me and if he will protect me and if he will provide for me and if I return safely. A lot of conditions on this worship. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So if God gives to me first, then I will worship him. Then he will be my God. Then I will tithe. It'll be a later thing. Not today. That would just be silly. (laughs) Couldn't be today. I'm convinced that there is a God. I just got this amazing, powerful dream from the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of my father, the God of my grandfather, but he's not mine yet. My worship is very conditional. 
at this point. And he's on the run. He has an encounter with God. He gives him all these ifs as if he's manipulating God, as if God owes him something. But can you manipulate God? (laughs) Ever? Is it even possible to manipulate God? And so we see him move on, and you might know these stories as well. He gets to Laban's house. He falls in love with a, a woman named Rachel, and he works for seven years to earn the right to marry her. But who remembers the story? Does he get to marry her? No. In fact, Laban tricks him, gives him her sister instead. I don't even know how that happens, but that's a ask your parents about that one. Okay. He marries the wrong girl, has to work another seven years to earn the right to marry the one that he actually was working for. And it seems like during this time, it's like this cruel or genius twist of God's fate that he's now earning a taste of his own medicine, right? He's not the one tricking anymore. He's the one being tricked, and he's also having to learn the value of hard work. He has to work for what he wants. He can't trick his way into it, can't manipulate or steal or lie or cheat his way into it. He has to earn it. And then he's tricked, and he knows how that feels. He knows what he did to his brother now because he tricked him out of what was rightfully his. I think he learns a lot in those 14 years. And and he worked another six years on Laban's land. He had already made Laban a very rich man because the craftiness didn't go away, right? I think actually some of those gifts, the ambition that God puts deep down in our souls are very much God-given. It's just what we do with them that make them evil. (laughs) Christians sometimes will write off ambition altogether. We shouldn't have any amount of riches. We shouldn't have any amount of, you know, working hard or, or earning a lot. Those, those gifts are God-given. You just have to use them for God's glory, not your own, <laughs> right? And so six years, another six years go by. He's actually a very rich man now in his own right because he's negotiated, if you remember, the spotted sheep and that whole story. If not, go back and read this, the whole thing this week. It really is a lot of amazing stories one after another. He's a very rich man. He's got two families Laban's other sons are starting to get a little jealous, though. He's starting to burn some bridges there. He's, he realizes, okay, I can't stay here anymore. I think I need to go back home. And it's been 20 years. He's got young families. He's got lots of herds and riches. And, and he's faced with heading back home, heading back to his past, facing what he did back there. And he sets out, and, and he begins thinking. He's pretty sure at this point that Esau still wants to kill him. Like, pretty sure. But he becomes really sure when a servant he had sent ahead comes back and says, well, let's just read it, Genesis 32, verse 6. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. (laughs) And now Jacob's like, oh. Yeah, he's he's going to come kill me for sure. That's what's happening. He was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. He's still crafty, right? Still a very creative guy, but he's convinced Esau is coming to kill him for sure. Esau's going to come and kill him and his families. And so maybe 
one can escape. Does this still sound like a victory story? (laughs) Sounds like a lot of fear. Our past grabbing never leaves us if we keep reacting in fear. It's fear over and over and over again because incorrect victory breeds fear because how you win is incredibly important. Without God's help, we get partial and incomplete victories. We might win in one area, but we lose in others. We might get the riches that we had so hoped for, but we didn't really realize when we were hoping for the riches that we also wanted the respect and the family and the wholeness and goodness that comes along with those riches. But you can't have all of those things when you steal it. You just get the riches, not the respect. And suddenly you have all the riches and you realize that's not actually what I really wanted, right? I I wanted the, the family, the home, the respect that comes with it. And I think it's this particular moment when Jacob begins to understand these things. I think he sits in that camp all alone that night after he sent his family's away, and he's faced with an enemy, for sure an enemy, his brother coming from the other way. And I I think he begins to understand and really see the difference between what cheating has gotten himself and what hard work has gotten him. Because now he's got something to lose. Remember those families that he sent away, they're precious to him. He's got herds and riches. He's got a lot to lose at this point, and he's scared. He's so scared. He's in a camp all alone waiting for this confrontation from his brother. And this is the context for God showing up. This is the context for the piece we read earlier where he wrestles with God. This is the context God shows up in a human form and wrestles. (laughs) I mean, when God showed up for Elijah when he was upset and afraid, God gave him a nap and a snack. Why, why can't Jacob have that in this context? When, when God showed up for Gideon, he gave him a clever trumpet trick in a small army. <laughs> when God showed up for Moses, he gave him a parting Red Sea and a burning bush that he gave him a calling out of and, and a host of small and big signs and wonders. Why doesn't Jacob get any of those things? When God shows up for Jacob, He gives him a wrestling match. (laughs) Ever feel like God himself is standing in your way? Right? When what you really need is just breakthrough. Here God is again wrestling you. Wrestling with your past. Wrestling with your mistakes. With your very identity. And all you want to do is move forward. All you want to do is get the army. All you want to do is get the clever trumpet trick. Like, why can't I have the nap and the snack, God? Why do I have to have the wrestling match? And yet, that's where he is. Let's read that passage one more time with this context in mind, and I guarantee you'll see it a little bit differently, knowing the context now. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. All night long, No sleep to be had on a very important night to get sleep. 
When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and won. This wasn't a battle of strength. Jacob had strength. This was a battle of endurance, not cheating to get out. Jacob had just spent the last 20 years learning the value of hard work, but he also learned how it felt to be manipulated. Now he could identify with his brother more than ever. He knew what had been taken from him. And honestly, still at this point, as I'm in my own wrestling match with God about what this passage could possibly mean, I had all sorts of theories. You know, I, I, I thought about, you know, how you have to tire a, a dog out. Have you ever trained a dog? You have to run them around the yard or take them on a walk. You have to tire them out before you train them. Maybe God was just trying to tire him out here. <laughs> that we could show up the next morning not refreshed and feisty, but broken a little bit, ready to submit. Maybe God just had to give him that physical outlet for the spiritual and mental torment he was going through, like, like how those in, in depression or anxiety you're supposed to work out every day, right? Get that physical outlet for your spiritual self. Maybe it was just to test his endurance, right? It obviously wasn't about strength. God could pummel him in, in a word, right? It's not about strength. It was an endurance. Or maybe it was to test his submission. He didn't tap out. <laughs> maybe it was just to see if he had learned his lesson about hard work versus cheating, in the end, I had to come back to what I absolutely know. And this is the thing with studying the word. You don't always get the answers to the questions you were looking for to get the answers to the questions that you need. Always, every time. I was asking the wrong questions yet again. And so I went back to the scriptures and I said, I, I, I don't have the answers. The word doesn't give me the answers. So obviously I'm not supposed to have them. What do I know? What is in there. What I know for sure is that after the wrestling match, what happened was his brother Esau accepted him with open arms as a brother, not as an enemy. Those 400 men he brought weren't to fight him. It, were to, it was literally to protect him. He embraced him as a brother. What I know for sure is that before the wrestling match, Jacob consistently called God the God of his grandfather, Abraham, and the God of his father, Isaac. And after the wrestling match, I see him calling God my God, the God of Israel, the God of my new name and identity, mine. What I know for sure is that before the wrestling match, he let his wives keep their idols, worship other gods from their fathers. But after the wrestling match, he dug a hole in the sand, he buried those suckers, and he didn't look back. And what I know for sure is that before the wrestling match, the deceiver, Jacob, the grabber, he had a particular view of himself. 
But after, he had a new name, a new attitude, a new walk. He was a changed man, and everyone could see it. From now on, everybody would ask him, why are you limping, Jacob? Everywhere he went, it was a constant reminder that he is no longer the deceiver. Now, he's the one who wrestled with God and won. But not a cheated victory, a partial and incomplete victory that breeds fear, a correct victory, a God-given victory. That's the kind of victory that only gives life, and life abundantly. God wants that for you. He wants abundance in your life. He wanted it for Jacob. He just couldn't get it when he was grabbing for it himself. Jacob's enemy, it was never his brother. It was never his brother. Not back when they were kids and Esau was just hungry. He was just hungry. He just wanted a bowl of soup. He wasn't his enemy when they were grown up a little, and Esau was just busy hunting and wanting to get a blessing from his father, trying to be obedient. He wasn't his enemy in the womb when Esau got born first, right? Esau was never the enemy. Jacob's enemy was himself. And when I got that, I finally got to the place where I understood fully that Jacob's enemy was never people. My enemies aren't out there in the world. It's just evil coming against me. I'm just the victim all the time. You just got to take what you're owed. Nobody's going to give it to you. But I understood that out there, the, the enemy's not out there. The enemy is actually in here. And the wrestling match between Jacob and God was not that God was his enemy either. A wrestling match with Jacob and God had nothing to do with Esau, and it had very little to do with God and his ability. That wrestling match was about Jacob earning himself a new name. Some of us have to come to that same realization. You are not the sum total of decisions and from the past and words that have been said over you. You are whoever God, your creator, says you are. You answer to one name, and that is the name God Almighty has given you. Don't answer to any other name. Don't even look up. They'll call it. Doesn't mean you have to answer it. You have a new name now, and you have to wrestle with God to get that new name. Don't run from him. Battle it out with him. And it can be a battle sometimes. It's okay. Let it be. There's pain sometimes in the wrestling match. But there's healing on the other side. Philippians 2 says to work out your faith with fear and trembling because the truth isn't just lying around on the surface for anyone to stumble across. The lies are, they're easy to find. They're everywhere in my path. I can pick a lie anytime I want and believe it. I have to wrestle for the truth though. The truth is harder to find, but it's so much freedom when you actually live it. Don't Take the easy way out. Take the wrestling match. It, it might be a long night. It might have been better 
physically to sleep the night away. But Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Jesus never asked you to live your old life. You're a new creation now. Live the new life. Jesus gives it freely and not just life, but life abundantly. He gives whole victories, not partial or incomplete. He came to give you a new identity, a new name. It might be a long night, but joy comes in the morning. I am born again. I am made brand new. I am a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. I am Israel. You are Israel. You have wrestled with God and won because God was never your enemy. Esau was never your enemy. And if you're walking with a limp today because of that wrestling match, that's okay because you're Israel now. If you're walking with a limp today, it might not be because Satan did it to you or the, or the world is trying to keep you down. It might just be to remind you that the God of heaven and earth has given you a new name. It's not by your own might and power that you accomplish anything. The victories that you've earned are all through Jesus because he earned it first. He covered all the sin and selfishness, all the past decisions and mistakes with his blood and he made a way for you to live a new life. He wrestled first. We just claim that battle. Wrestle it out on our own and we win a new victory. The nation of Israel is named after Jacob, the deceiver. But they didn't take on that name. They took on his new name. They wrestled with God and won because God is in the wrestling. We often want to um, get around the wrestling. We, we would prefer God deliver us a miracle just out of the blue, drop it in my lap, right? But healing often has to be worked through. I heard it said this week that God said to someone, I could heal you today, but you'd lose it tomorrow because you're still stuck in that old identity. You still see yourself as sick and you'll go right back to it. You have to wrestle a little bit. You have to mark that place in your life. Healing takes work, but he's there in the pain. He's there in the storm. When enemies seem to be coming at you every which way, he is there and he wants to wrestle your selfishness out, your pain out. And he wants to give you a new name in the morning. You are clay in the potter's hands. Sometimes we form ourselves into something. And in order to break down that clay again in the potter's hands, he has to work us a little bit, right? He's got to rework us into something new. And, and there can be pain in that. There's cracking and reforming and pushing and prodding in that process. But there's a new form in the end. See, I think the church has a critical problem right now. I think we minimize pain and hard work, emotional hard work. There's a website that has all these t-shirts and things that say it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. <laughs> because Christians, we sometimes think it has to be only Jesus and nothing else. You have to handle this all on your own. 
when in fact God has always placed us in community. He's always placed us with help in our reach, not beyond it, in it. He's always given us each other to work things out with. Why do you think it it only has to be you and your Bible? When all throughout the Bible, I see people helping people. God sending people, it's incarnational ministry. He sends his help through us to each other. You have to feel it to heal it. You have to work at it. rather walk around. I'm a tough guy. I can handle it all on my own. God didn't ask that of you. He asked you to wrestle it out with God and help each other through that. And the wrestling might hurt, but healing comes after. The wrestling might hurt, but afterward there's a new name, a new mission, a new legacy. Thousands might come after your healing. You have no idea what God's going to do with that. You owe it to other people to wrestle through and get your healing. Others need your freedom, your restoration, your testimony, your mission. You are Israel. You have wrestled with God and won. And that doesn't make God the loser, by the way. It means you have won a new name from him, a new legacy from him. With that name change, God gave Israel a nation, a land, a legacy, something the rest of history will always remember. Do you want to be a world changer too? Wrestle, but wrestle long enough to win. Don't give up when things get hard or painful or stressful or when there's enemies coming at you. Wrestle it out with God long enough to be victorious. God, we thank you. We praise you for your victory. Thank you for whole, complete victories. Thank you that you've given us freedom and hope for a future, that we don't have to be a slave to our sin and selfishness anymore. That we're not living in shame, we're walking in freedom. God, help us to remember that you already won the battle on the cross. It's not that much of a battle, actually. It's just claiming your freedom and choosing every single day to walk in that. God, we thank you. We submit ourselves to you. We're no longer saying it's, it's the God of my fathers. It's the God of other people. I'll serve him someday later when, when he's earned it in my life. We're just submitting ourselves to you understanding that sometimes it's wrestling to get there. We're wrestling through pain. We're wrestling through unforgiveness. We're wrestling through shame from the past. Labels that have been put on us. But God, you are there. You're in the wrestling and you're in the healing on the other side. Teach us how to face our fears head on, to wrestle them out with you the power of your word. Teach us to repent from some things in the past that we've done and we're continuing to place those labels on ourselves. We think we have to beat ourselves up for those things instead of walking into our new name. God, be with us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for victory. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for hope. 
for a future. Thank you that we don't have to strive and work so hard all of the time on our actions and the things that we do. You've already done the hard work, but Father, let us be willing to do the emotional work of submission, to really, truly trust your plan, that you have provided a way. You make a way where there is no way. You have a plan for our lives despite or because of sometimes all of the things from our past. You even make a way to use the bad things for your good. You are so good, God. Thank you for making us a victorious, vibrant, passionate, selfless people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. When I grew up, wrestling was on Sundays. That was always difficult for my father. He was a devout believer. He wanted to set a good example for his son, and he always hated if we'd miss church on Sundays. And as I was sitting back there listening to the end of Candace's message, I just thought, I still wrestle on Sundays. I'm just wrestling something else. It's not a person in front of me. It's, it's, it's what God's put in front of me. Not so it can defeat me, but so I can be victorious over it. It's like he's picking out the opponents so that we can have some victories in front of us. Man, this, this sermon series is lining up week after week so that we can be victorious. And, and then I even thought a little bit more when she was having people raise their hands for what they're wrestling, what's in front of them, and even for salvation. You know, at the end of every wrestling match, the victor raises their hands. In worship, we raise our hands. In response, we raise our hands because that's who we are. Ones who wrestle but are guaranteed victory. Would you guys stand with me before we go from this time? I want you to remember that, that, that encouragement. You're called to be victorious. And let's pray. But I would encourage you, would you just raise your hands to heaven to walk out victory this week, acknowledging that you are victorious. Heavenly Father, we stand here in the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross from the grave into heaven, knowing that you raised him from the dead, so won't you also raise us into victory? But we acknowledge that we need to wrestle what is in front of us, not so that we can become victorious in our own strength, but so that we can know we have the strength to fight. Grow us strong and victorious in your mighty power, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. We'll see you next week.